Hello, and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Comics Podcast, episode 47. I'm Christina, and I'm joined by the other nerds. Carissa. Hey. Ryan. Hello. And Rory. Hey, hey, hey. Together we take on the week's comics. Each week, read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now and go read your week's books, and then come on back. Each week, one of us picks our favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. This week, the pick of the week goes to Black Monday Murders, issue number two. The companion song is Everybody Wants to Rule the World, originally by Tears for Fears, which was released in 1985, which is where a lot of this book takes place. And I chose the cover by Lord because the Tears for Fears ones is just not dark enough. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to your life. There's no turning back. Even while we sleep. Find you acting on your best behavior Turn your back on Mother Nature Everybody wants to Black Monday Murders, issue number two, A Story of Betrayal, Image Comics, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Tom Coker, colors by Michael Garland. Again, this is a almost a double issue, it feels like. This is a very, very intricate story, which Jonathan Hickman loves to do. Yep, this is another 50-page one. Yes. Yeah. So when you're reading this, make sure you have a lot of time on your hands and not going in a hurry because there is a lot of story in here. It's amazing how weird and creepy and fucked up this really is even though this issue doesn't have a lot of blood and murder we have yet another sacrifice of a human to get onto the other side and see the five people that are of various 80s looking awesomeness who we don't know who they are but they're they say they're from the western school so it's obviously one of the other groups of what do we call them magicians the bank right now is Canaan, Car, Cover, whatever. So I think yeah. these are the two banks before they unified together. Right. So this is one of the separate yeah. ones, but it doesn't really say exactly who they are. And then there's that letter that said to talk about getting the school in order kind of thing. Well, there's a couple different letters. There's a letter about... Talk about the one from the father to the son. Yes. Oh, where he tells her to kill his mother? Yeah. She's still yeah. alive? This is one from 1899, though. This is the going back in time, the consolidating mm-hmm. the school. And yes. We jump back now to, it's New York, where they are, and we have the detective, Dumas, interviewing a scholar who, he actually has written a book that has some of the symbols in it, and he's hoping the guy can read it for him, and he can't really read it. He's like, no, I don't. There's actually nobody who can actually read this. And they just have a small understanding of the symbols. They would need some sort of translation. He says, The Rosetta Stone has multiple languages in it. That's why it's so useful for translating. He has one word. One letter. One letter. The language that he says that it kind of comes from, he's like, it's the language that everyone possesses. It's mathematic. I suck at math, so that's awesome. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Contact with Jodie... Well, it's a Carl Sagan book, but uh, (laughs) it's with Jodie Foster. That's the language the aliens communicate with us because math is a universal constant. I did not. I don't uh, Jodie Foster unless it's Silence of the Lambs. That's about the only one. He gets at least some information from this guy, not a whole lot. He has something to go on. So he plans on going and talking to the lady whose brother has died. In the meantime, we have our, the old guy who's, I guess, 
kind of one of the heads of the Canaan Bank. Victor? Victor. He's like the executioner. Yeah. The SWAT team is basically going and arresting him. And the speech that he gives is so freaking good. I love it. Basically, he's telling them, like, you have no power. You can't kill me. I'm immortal. He's, do whatever you're going to do, but I'll do something even worse, which I think is freaking very, very cool. That's a great page. That's a great... He has his hands out. Like, he's like, he's giving up, but not really giving up. Yeah. Well, I think he's threatening them that, like, you can arrest me, but I will yeah. destroy you. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Do your worst. I'll certainly do mine. Great panel. Um, the colors for this book really help with the creepiness and the darkness of the characters as well. I like that a lot. There's a little bit of an interaction between the detective and it's the guy who's the head of the bank security. And they will talk back and forth about what's been going on and finds it very interesting that the people who work for the bank have a military background and everybody they hire is very very professional and it was very interesting where he says they expect a lot from people who even prepare their food for the bank mm-hmm. he goes and he's now talking to the sister her brother had died so she's talking about like she knows that he's been arrested she says and you think he killed my brother and he's like i can't talk about that and there's a nice little interaction between them and then he pulls out the piece of paper and he says this was written on the wall have you ever seen anything like this before and the look on her face where she looks away so yeah. that was actually one of the panels that i was had a lot of questions about so there's that girl who's all in solid white that we speculated was like a, a ghost or something that maybe only, yes. or a demon or something that only they can see, mm-hmm. right. which I think is true. But when she makes the side eyes towards her to look at her, he turns yeah. around and looks too. Exactly. And I don't know if he can actually see her or sense her there or what. You could probably tell by the gaze of her eyes where she was looking. Right. But then when she originally went to the board meeting, they told her she had to go in alone. So I think they do see I think those who are in tune to Mammon or the supernatural can see her, but I don't think ordinary people can. But he might. But he's all into Voodoo, so. Yeah, so he, he might actually be able to see her. I think he might sense that there's somebody there, but he may not be able to actually see her. And I think the story when he's talking about his grandmother saving the left hand bones, I think those were the bones he was throwing in the first. Oh, yes. They have to be the same. Absolutely. He does practice. And again, it's Jonathan Hickman. Everything ties into everything. Yes, a panel from six issues ago is going to become very relevant later. That's a jam. So after she leaves the board meeting and she's talking to the white woman, she's saying, we got what you wanted. She's like, calls her like, you monster woman. They're doing stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Nice play of the cutoff of the panel. Like they're going to not show. Skinamax after dark. Exactly. That is definitely doing stuff. Like, oh, you shun me because I'm a woman and take my brother? Okay, I guess I'm going to hook up with this one and we're going to destroy you. Even though she doesn't say anything, he kind of gets what he needs from her. She's going to give him back the paper and he's like, no, you go ahead and keep that. You know, sorry for your loss. And then he leaves and the white woman says, you know, what does it say? They obviously do know what it says. It says, we know whatever that means. We know what? No idea. But I'm guessing it has to do with whoever actually killed her brother knows probably the secrets of the bank or something like that. I'm sure there's a full on huge story they're going to divulge piece by piece by piece. This is all building the world. Yeah. This are building the characters. We're learning who these people are, how evil some of them are. I really can't urge people enough if you didn't read black monday murders one go get that and this and start reading it right now because this is a great artist at the top of their craft and you need to read every issue of this to get it don't wait too long don't wait for the trade no get this now yeah our story where we tell you how image comics are harder to jump into they really are if you haven't started this is even more so that but well worth it it does help i do have to say and he does he's done this before in east to west where there is actually a list of people who are in the book it really really helps because it's really hard to remember everybody reads like a dossier at the end 
kind of wish that had been at the beginning, but I could see how it might break the flow of the story if it was. So I mean, you just see it building and getting more in depth and more like interesting and intriguing with like every like little nuance and detail that he's dropping in. If I had had to pick this week, this also would have been my pick. This was fantastic. My favorite part was when it was going over the notes of the board meeting and we agreed to, and it's all blacked out. I was like, what was it? Yeah, I so want to know. <laughs> In the letter from the person's father, yes. like option number two is blacked yes. out. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the hell was that option? I wonder if at some point we'll actually get to find out. Like, if there's going to be like a dossier that's going to be like a compendium to this series. Like redacted yes. information or yes. something like that. I think that would be really, really, really cool. Or it's even just kind of fun to yeah. not know because you can imagine the worst. And I'm sure what you imagine is nowhere near as bad as it actually yep. is. <laughs> So the part where they sacrifice that, he's not a Romani, he's the, I actually had to look it up because I had no idea what they were talking about. I thought they said it was Romani. What he is, is there's a group in Bosnia that people say are related to the Romani. They say they're not. That's what he's from. That's why they say it wasn't quite as good of a sacrifice. That's why it took them a long time to get where they were going. That different group that you're talking about, he's asking for one of those and that's all they found was a Romani. You're right, you're right. Rory. Rory's you're always right. right. All hail God, Rory. I'm going to get four and three quarters awesome shoulder pads. Didn't the thing with like the Romani or in the water tank totally remind me of Stranger Things? Yes, yes. absolutely. Because that's a, that's what they were doing. They're opening a portal to the other side. They yes. were. So I was like, whoa. That's exactly what they were doing. Water in a lot of mystical traditions is a portal. Yeah. yeah. It's like a barrier between two worlds. But that was almost verbatim. It's a trope. It's something that's been used in other things as yeah. well. I gave it four and a half left-hand bones. Four and a half water mediums. All hail God, Memon. Four and a half Ash Kali. We didn't pay our proper tribute. There will be a price to be paid later. And Christina, you're sitting in the stone chair this week, so... Ah. I hate to tell you. So speaking of prices to be paid, I'm taking us over to DC, over to Detective Comics number 940, Rise of the Batman, Part 7, The Red Badge of Courage, of course, from DC Comics, written by James Tinney and the Fourth, art by Eber Ferreria and Eddie Barrows. So at the end of the last issue, Tim Drake, Red Robin, <laughs> you fucker, I always think of that now when I see his name. Anyway, so there's a drone strike that the this like army of Batman are calling in to take out people that they think are part of the League of Shadows. And Tim Drake hijacks their programming and makes himself the target of all of them. He thinks he can take them out and save people. He doesn't necessarily think he's going to make it out alive. But at the end of the last issue, I was like, man, I really want to see how he gets out of this one. <laughs> well, <laughs> spoiler, uh, he doesn't. Which is, I think, why you have here the Red Badge of Courage. He, the first wave, you don't actually see him fight the first wave of drones, but it shows him in like big thing of like rubble, bruised and bloody, broken ribs, broken leg, you know, limping along with his staff. And that's when the second drone strike is going to come up. I'm really enjoying the parts with Batwoman. Was not a big fan out before with her father. I love the, where he's telling her, step outside and talk. And she's like, you first, and like mm -hmm. dives out the window with him. I thought that was pretty badass. That shot of her throwing him out the window and leaping out there all bat style and then beating his ass <laughs> was pretty awesome. So that continues. And they do a lot of really great things, I think, with Tim Drake's death. Tim Drake is my favorite Robin. He's one of my favorite comic book characters of all time. So seeing him go down was very, very sad to me. But I think he went down like a boss. Like, if you're going to go down, going down, saving a bunch of people and fighting on your feet, you really can't ask for better than that when you're a superhero, right? You know there's going to be a price to pay. I mean, everyone who puts on that cape, 
knows they're probably going to die wearing it. I like that they do the part where he is talking to everyone as he's waiting for that second drone strike to come in, especially where he's talking to Stephanie, who's his girlfriend, telling her that she helped him realize the person he wants to become and that he loves her and all of that, which I thought was very touching. Like if you ever hear recordings of people who know they're not going to make it out of whatever it is, that's very impactful stuff. And then there's a scene later where Bruce comes to find her. First, you get a kind of a neat page of him holding his staff all covered in blood, doing that kind of like classic action hero thing where you're like holding like the body. You know, if it was a movie, there'd be like a crane shot with like the no, where you like yell at the heavens kind of thing. But then you get what I think is a really emotionally impactful thing where, you know, Batman shows up to talk to her. Batman's giving her basically what I just said, that he's a soldier. He chose this path. He did this. A lot of people were saved because of it. And that's when she's like, you don't understand. And she hands him the acceptance letter from the university. I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with all the Detective Comics issues, but what Tim Drake has been trying to figure out is, does he want to be continue training as Robin or does he want to go to school? Yeah. And he made the decision that he can do more good for the world by going to school because he's a genius. He's a flat out genius. And like the whole base that they have and all that stuff, it's all invented by him. And you can see in this one, he was able to hack into that thing and do all that. So he thinks his basically his brain is more important than his fists. You know? So he's going to go to school and like help the world like that. And he got accepted into the school that he wanted to get into. He did not tell Batman that. So he was able to pull that over the world's greatest detective. But then he sees the letter and he realizes what's going to happen. And then there's this great scene where you have kind of that flash of lightning outside the window from classic Batman imagery from like the Dark Knight where their two hands are like reaching out towards each other. And there's just a full panel of them just like hugging each other while they're crying. Yeah, that's a good one. So I thought that was actually the last page of the issue. And I was like, damn, that was really good. Then I flipped the page and... And it's not quite over yet. There's more to come. This is basically now we have the monster men are coming and Red Robin is actually not dead. Although I swear to God, I thought he was. Like, they did an absolutely convincing job of, of telling me that. They had me believing it until I flipped the page. And he's, like, trapped in this uh, prison, and he's saying that, you can't keep me here forever. I'm too smart. Like, I will figure a way out, and my friends are going to come for me. I thought this really ramped into Night of the Monster Men really, really well. Makes me really want to read it. I liked the personal stuff that's going on. I liked the action scenes. There's a lot of iconic imagery. It was emotional to me. It was very impactful to me, seeing him go down like that. So I loved it. You guys may not be as big of Batman fans or Tim Drake in particular, but what do you guys think of it? Uh, I fucking the imagery was fantastic. Panel with Robin and the drones, just that one. Just you're like, oh, like it was convincing. I was like, that's some drawing. And then that panel along with, yeah, the one where they're hugging were like two of my favorites. Yeah, mine too. While I'm interested in what's happening to Robin at the end, kind of cheapens at how great that panel was. So I was just like, oh man. So I'm like kind of torn on how I feel about that. I wish they left those pages for another issue. They should have. Like, that should have been the opening of the next issue. Yeah. It kind of almost cheapens it. That's what I'm saying, yeah. It really does. Such an amazing panel and so much emotion from the follow-up. I was just like, I don't know why they did that. Did they think people were going to be in an uproar? Well, then, yeah, do it. Don't fuck around. Actually, do it. Make people upset. Although I could see that if they did it and then the next issue they did these few pages, they could be like, oh, they backed off because people were upset. So maybe they're... Seems like an editorial decision, not a writer's decision to me, because that seems like the last page of the book. It really does. Yeah. And it's like the last several pages were very, like, no dialogue. I would just love to see all the internet haters go all fucking ass wild over the whole Tim Drake dying thing. Oh my god, I can't believe they did! And then, like, have him show up the next issue. I think that adds interest. I think that's 
to their benefit when people do. I mean, with the Captain America thing, too, they're a huge uproar, but I think it got more people into comic book stores and getting in comics to find out what was going on. People were genuinely interested and had heard about it from oh, somebody sure. who reads comics so, and yeah. didn't, self didn't read comics. Well, keep people on their toes sometimes. Make them wait. There's an art to cliffhangers, you know? Yeah. That's probably my biggest complaint was that. I was like, I thought those panels were so epically drawn. When a character dies, you need that really good artwork to bring it up. I thought they did a really good job. Then I saw that. This kind of disappointed me. I'm like, sure, it captured my interest what was going on. Not as much as it would have if they just would have left. I ended up giving it four and a half acceptance letters. I think it would have been a five if they didn't have those last like two pages. Where they walk it back. I gave it four Batman hugs. <laughs> Batman don't hug. <laughs> Very rarely. I will give it four Clayface ugly crying. <laughs> oh, my Clayface is so sad. <laughs> that, oh. that, that panel of everybody like just being heartbroken is a really good panel. Speaking of that, there's a, a panel where the girl who doesn't speak, who's like the best fighter in the world, mm-hmm. her big thing is she doesn't have an understanding of like emotions and other people. So when you see her sitting there crying, yeah, it's like she's learned something. I'll give it four and a half Black Flight Protocols. Awesome issue. Great read. Only thing that made it kept it from being perfect was that last panel. Agree. Have some courage, DC. Kill a fucker, put him in the ground. <laughs> Make some motherfuckers cry. Come on, James Tinney in the forest. <laughs> there might have been some man tears. I don't quite recall. <laughs> but it, it was very impactful to me. I'm moving us on to A-Force number nine, Civil War two, Marvel Comics, written by Kelly Thompson, art by Paulo Sequeria, and Raquel Rosenberg. First of all, this had Christina, one of her spirit animals in it, I think, because Elsa totally reminded me. (laughs) Oh, Elsa Bloodstone? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that same thing, too. I'm like, well, how did Christina get in this book? Yeah. (laughs) She has, like, orange hair and a ponytail, and it says, Monster Hunter Extraordinaire with the mouth of a sailor, or 12 sailors. Yeah. I'm like, it's Christina! (laughs) This is how you swear in an all-ages, not all-ages, but, like, in a regular comic book. When the Punisher did it, it really bugged me. And in this one, they had fun with it, I felt like. And I was totally okay with it. It was cute the way they yeah. did it with like yeah. the skulls. They didn't act like it was a limitation. Made it a way to be creative. Yes. Though it took me a little bit longer to read some parts where I was trying to figure out which cuss words she was trying to, she would be trying to use. <laughs> I should have read this book out loud to everyone. <laughs> you should record it like the go the fuck to sleep things. Christina's reading of A-Force. So to do the quick synopsis of this issue, we go to the little small town with A-Force where the people are being turned into bugs. Carol comes from her I'm Civil War all over the place basically because ulysses had a vision of nico murdering someone so this is basically the a-force being almost ripped apart and nico is being a lot calmer than banner was i guess there's no hawkeye hanging out in the background carol clearly has that in mind she's worried about that kind of scenario she's learned a bit but it doesn't help that medusa this time is going off the deep end i love when nico whispers in her ear at the end that panel is great (laughs) i could just picture her saying something like bald you though nico she's not going softly she's debating it with them you know she's actually being quite mature for someone of her age because you know the runaways tend to be younger but i think she's handling it well So, so medusa starts trying to take nico into custody using her hair like all wrapped up blocking her mouth thing because she's afraid that she's gonna teleport them and get away i really like singularity in this one she was a yes me too oh i'm getting to that so they're fighting elsa has the funny thing where she you know they start fighting she pulls a gun out she's like i was seriously looking forward to that damn stomach she's actually really good comedy relief in this issue they're all fighting and carol has a headache and they're not getting along and singularity and her sweet innocentness is often is just has it she's like no she zots them into 
space slash herself. She's going to put them in her insides. And we've seen her do before. <laughs> She's just being her sweetness. I want you all to get along. We're supposed to be heroes. We have a bigger thing to do. So basically, she makes sense to them. They go back down. And I like how it does note 10 minutes yeah. later. Not in Singularity's insides. <laughs> they're going to go into two teams. One people are, they're looking for Alice, which is this one girl. And it's also the girl who they think that the prophecy says that Nico's going to kill. Carol's trying to convince Nico to stay behind and not go on. The, but she's like, she doesn't want to stay with Medusa. Goes down to Carol, Nico, and Elsa on one team. And Medusa, Dazzler, and... Singularity. And that's where the panel is as they're leaving. The teams are going their separate ways. Ryan mentioned, which is a really cool panel. It's a close-up of just Nico's lips to Medusa's ear. They're saying, you know, truce or not, you know, basically you do that again to me and you're going to get a magical buzz cut. It looks threatening. The art in this issue is such a step up from previous issues. I was super impressed with the art on this. Yeah. Yeah. There's a cute touching moment between Medusa and Dazzler. Her coming to terms with what happened to Dazzler. Dazzler, Thor, the Terrigen Mist and not blaming the Inhumans and saying that Medusa only likes to be part of A-Force because it gets her a break from having all that responsibility. All those people just kissing her ass all the time. Of Singular is like, finally hugs! <laughs> yes! Yes! Yeah, she's adorable. They hug and make up. And then, you know, big scary bug comes in. The next panel is where it really gets down to the core of chunk of what Civil War and what's happening right now. And I think it's a really interesting discussion between Carol and Nico. thought Ryan would probably have more to... So you're on the slipperiest of slopes. The whole ends justify the means. And I think it maybe means more to her having someone who she is accusing of talking back in a trying to have a discussion about it it's a little different than say when kamala was because kamala wasn't being accused of anything and it's also i thought the insight was interesting from nico because her parents are super villains and they don't think they're evil Mm -hmm. so she probably has kind of a history with people using the ends to justify the means so she's sensitive to that the whole you can't fight the future which i think is very interesting where we're just getting new problems things are just changing or leaving openings for other problems and like in in the case of this issue maybe she didn't do it because carol showed up but it just changed into a situation where she's either going to have to anyways or in a different way there was a reason for it that might not have been prophesized that was needed it's a butterfly effect it is exactly and um, they end up in a mine shaft they're trying to hunt alice they see that she's there because she i guess used to be like a tour guide there for, for like summer camp elsa almost gets blasted hmm. by carol that was pretty funny <laughs> when she sneaks up on so it turns out that alice is the bug and basically like the queen bug like she's woke up i'm guessing she got hit by the terrigen mist and that's her form maybe very kafka-esque she's turning all the people into other bugs but they she can't control them like a queen bug would because they ask her to she's like no i tried she actually did blast a goo two of the friends though they almost suffocated because of it she doesn't really seem like she knows how she turned them but she's talking to nico telepathically what it comes down to she say she explains all this what's going on why she's in hiding basically she seems to be asking nico to kill her which just goes back to the prophecy that nico was going to kill alice and actually if the prophecy was her killing a bug i don't think that carol would have showed up it's a big bug baddie person i mean it doesn't seem like they could save her and they're talking about that and nico saying no i don't want to do that elsa gets mad about being suffocated almost by the goo and she has lots of cuss words and takes off says i'm angry i need to kill him like i need a murder or fucker or something yep. so she says and then she turns around and carol is about to get pincher snapped by bug elsa and i don't know how elsa got infected it was a really fast change too it's when you get hurt by that woman you turn into one of those bugs so probably when they were fighting she got scratched or something maybe when the goo got on her yeah, i was gonna say maybe the goo but then carol didn't change carol might be strong enough to fight it off for a while 
She's the boss of space, man. She can handle it. <laughs> it's a very interesting situation. I actually really like this issue. I thought it showed a really interesting dynamic. I loved Elsa. She was perfect comedy for the whole thing. And Singularity is just adorable. I think that it's going to end up Nico's going to have to do it. And I think that maybe it might show that some of the prophecies, what they're seeing, aren't necessarily bad. They like have to happen. Killing this person, they have to yep. happen. Exactly. So I think that will be an interesting point in the whole scheme of things. Well, yeah, is it like she's a bug vampire and you got to kill the... <laughs> The head vampire? Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly what I was thinking. So I think it will be a good point in the whole argument about what's going on in Civil War. I like the artwork. Way too predictable for me. I mean, I enjoyed it. They had definitely some funny moments. The artwork is very nice. Just extremely predictable story. Kind of got boring. It was silly. It was campy. There was some good camp in there. I like funny. Even when it was kind of supposed to be a little serious, it still didn't seem very serious. Maybe that's what they're going for. A little slapsticky. I like it. The artwork was really good. That last panel yes. is awesome. Yeah, it's a great panel. It's fun. You know, the characters are fun. Singularity is cool. Medusa is the one that I don't care for. I don't know why, but... She is not a likable character. I think that A-Force now has gone from being kind of a mid-level Marvel book to having some of the best writing and some of the best art in Marvel right now, which is shocking to me. Before, it was okay, but it was very niche, whether you would like it or not. And now I feel like the writing and the art are at a level where everyone would like it. They also do some really interesting panel layout here also, where they have a circular design of someone talking, and then they'll show like rays going out for it, like slicing up the page. Mm -hmm. I think that's interesting layout. I think that's, to me, an example of them trying to do more than they need to do for the book. Yeah, that was the Dazzler and Medusa conversation. Well, they do it later, too, when Elsa, Bloodstone, and them are all talking. Changing your panel layout keeps a book visually interesting, so I appreciate that. I gave it four Medusa camel toes. All right. I will give it three and a half sandwiches. I will give it four finely hugs. Aww. Three British ninja warriors. I love the, the scene where they're talking and she like pops down out of the tree like Spider-Man style. Yes. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? So more, more Marvel there, Rory. What you got for us? Yep. I am taking us over to a different continent. So I'm taking us back to Black Panther number six, A Nation Under Our Feet, part six. Marvel Comics, written by Tanahisi Coates. Art by Chris Sprouts and Carl Story. Colors by Laura Martin. In this story, we start off with uh, T'Challa, and he is talking with one of his people on his... His, like, council of advisors? Viziers, counselors, whatever you want to call it. He's talking about his opponent, who's basically tr- trying to take apart the monarchy. T'Challa takes a surprising stance on it, where he's he's basically, like, indicating that he's, like, pro-democracy. But since he is the king of Wakanda, and he's tied to his name, he's, like, basically straight up says that he's not going to step down. But he's also made some ties to basically who's causing some of this uprising and anarchy. It shows like this this picture of Zeke Stain, and he's talking about how he's going to wait until these guys cross, and then he's going to pounce on them. He's basically establishing his plan. We have a flash forward to the Midnight Angels, and they're basically taking this stand. They've kind of like assembled their forces, and they want to ready to... You know, take a stand and make sure that they don't become, you know, they have like this big soliloquy going on about how women become enslaved in war and stuff like that and how basically the way it's always been. So they have their showdown with the dogs of war, which the fight does not go very well for them (laughs) when they start taking them on. And then they basically get pulled out of the uh, fire by 
the, the psychic lady who can affect people's minds? That uh, one? Both of them. Uh, the psychic lady and the guy who's like doing all the weird kung fu out in the desert. Oh, the tree dude. Groot's brother from another mother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tattoo and Zinza. Or Zinzi. They cast a spell that for a second causes the dogs of war to just like have like regret. Tattoo and Zenzi appear. Basically, they kind of pull their asses out of the fire and uh, warn them that the, the spell's not going to last too long. So they like chain them up and stuff like that, you know, cuff them up and start disarming them and putting them away. At this point, they strike a pact, basically, and they agree that because the uh, Midnight Angels, you know, it's like they've wanted freedom and then they got freedom and then from that point on they wanted freedom for others and then they wanted a home and they were talking about how every time they made a step they basically had like another need that followed them which they they kind of like tell like they tie that into like their religious folklore they agree to basically make this pact that they'll stay together as long as it takes to get rid of the the monarchy at that point nothing else because they don't want to make too many promises they can't keep, essentially. I really like the scene with uh, Tony Stark and T'Challa talking to each other. That was good. I liked that a lot. I love the part where Tony says something and then T'Challa basically calls him on it and he's like, hey, I heard that. And he's like, I know because I said it. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, you're talking to a king, motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. I love that spot. Yeah, he just totally like shows off his, his royal demeanor in that second. Ego that, but at least my brilliance exceeds my ego. And he's like, I'm happy you think so. <laughs> That's like the royal version of did uh, I stutter, you know? <laughs> I don't know. To me, it was like weird to see Chalice shooting up the Doomroids. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you that's what those were. I, I was confused. I'm like, what is I that? I think that's from a previous Black Panther run where Doom invaded and, like, turned the people onto his side by using, like, these nanobots. T'Challa is, like, like saying, nano- like, I don't agree with his ends, but I've always admired his means to do it. Like, he's a genius, you know? Yeah. So maybe he can use some of this evil mm-hmm. genius stuff for a good purpose. Some good roids, I guess, yeah. I thought it was kind of funny to see that because it was like, usually that's not something that you see happen with the characters. For one, just like IV drug use. <laughs> True. You know, that's not something you typically see. And then on top of it, you usually don't see them using a villain's own methodologies towards their own ends. You know, not necessarily using their weapons against them, but like, oh, saying Doom had a good idea when he used these nanobots to to mind-control people. (laughs) That doesn't exactly sound the greatest. But it was an interesting take. It was an interesting take on him being smart and being able to use, realize that, hey, this might have a use. I thought that was interesting. I thought this kind of pointed out, like, this kind of tied back a little bit to me with A-Force, with Carol basically being like an ends justify the means kind of person. Mm -hmm. And I think T'Challa is kind of the same way, which is probably why they are on the same side. Love Black Panther. I've loved covering this run. But fuck in A, if it is not hard to actually try and describe what the fuck's going on, because there's always ten different stories. That's the only weakness this book has is that there's so many different stories, and if you're trying to relate them to people, how do I even cover, like, this long-winded... It goes off in a wild tangent like we do. Yeah, it's like a really long parable, and I kind of get what they're getting at, but I don't know how to explain, like, the point of it or or what they're talking about. So I'm just going to bypass that. Fast forward to uh, Chala fucking whooping some ass. And then he gets captured, but little do they realize that he's getting captured for a reason, so that he could, since this Zeke guy is the the force behind all the anarchy that's going on, all the uprising and stuff like that, 
he gets them on camera basically admitting that they've been backing him for nefarious purposes and basically to screw over Wakanda so that they can go in and, you know, reap the rewards of overthrowing the monarchy and get their own thing. So it's like, you know, basically something that they could turn around, throw on the internet and say, hey, look, you know, here's what's really going on. You know, don't join with these guys. And then at the very end, the crew shows up. The crew! That was awesome. This would be a great poster. Like, this should be a poster. It's freaking awesome. And it should just say the crew yeah. over it. Yeah. That's a great, that's great image. exactly what I thought of when I saw this whole thing. And that's going to be an exciting uh, addition to the story. I give it four Doomeroids. I give it three and three quarters, calculating eight ways to kick ass. It will be Rocket Raccoon and Groot Civil War Two, part two of the Bad Southern Pun Trilogy. Gone with the Gwen Marvel comics, written by Nick Kocher, art by Michael Walsh and Michael Garland. So this picks up kind of where we've left off in the previous one, where Gwenpool is hanging out in sort of a truce with uh, Rocket and Groot while they're trying to get Chammy the alien. We start with Gwen giving her fourth wall breaking kind of synopsis. But while she's talking, Miss Mar- Captain Marvel sorry, um, calls them again, and apparently Groot had a phone compared to the one that Rocket broke when he was saying that he was losing signal. And she's basically yelling at them, like, get here, you know, we're dying. It shows, like, a picture of them, like, her and the Inhumans and Beasts, like, fighting aliens and being, like, destroyed. Rocket's like, no, no, tell her it's mole people. Groot trying to say, I am Groot doesn't work, so she's, like, making Rocket take the phone. And he's making excuses and stuff like that. And she's like, I know you're doing something. You get over here. She's pretending there's, like, static on the phone. (laughs) And these really dumb things. And then, like, finally they hang up. And it's my favorite thing, and I post a picture of it. It's it's like, what were you going to do with a phone? You tell a bunch of people that you're Groot? I like it so Han Solo where he, like, shoots the phone. He's like, she's not on to us. (laughs) Yeah, Rocky keeps on thinking that, oh, yeah, she believed us, right? But, like, yeah, I just love how the concept of Groot having a phone where he's just going to say, I am Groot, and Rocket going, you're just going to tell people you're Groot over and over again. They start to go and they're trying to catch Chammy. They break in the house finally. I like how Rocket goes through the the pet door, but as he's going through the pet door, Gwen like kicks open the door and whacks him right into the wall. That was my favorite right there. (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty good. So they find like his secret little lair and like his girlfriend's freaking out because she didn't know all the stuff. She's like trying to figure. She's basically she's following them and they're not paying attention to her. And there's, like, weird not-tech-tech tech where um, they're seeing text messages he was sending to his friend. Because, you know, he's at the mysterious secret coordinates and the weird hooded person is talking to him. And he's, like, stalling, I guess, with, like, you know, how are you? Oh, yeah, this is interesting. He clearly thinks something is up and his friend isn't answering. But they're seeing the messages go through and they're like, oh, because it's triangulating. And then she does the whole joke on, like, TV photoshop anything tech can you zoom in can you enhance <laughs> yeah can you triangulate yeah. this <laughs> it's like do you even know what those words yeah, mean like weird buzzwords you know and so basically chanley figures it out that gus isn't around anymore basically calls him out like yeah right reeve and you know of course weird beef jerky zombie guy you know reveals himself to be <laughs> him and 
They start fighting and they're battling down at the swamp. He's going to shoot himself in the head because basically he's saying, you know, you have two options. I'm going to rip the information from your head. Tell me everything and you'll die quickly. Or I rip it from your head and you die slowly because, you know, that something like that makes me vomit and I hate to do it. So he's going to shoot himself in the head so he gets neither of those and stops him from doing that. And he starts ripping the information from his head and he's throwing up. You're like, oh, great. Not only were you gross enough to begin with, now you're puking. And Rocket shows up and shoots him. Yeah, but he says freeze. You're like, um, no, you shot him. You got that backwards, Rocket. Yeah. <laughs> and Gwenpool being dumb, saying, "Yo, our truce is over," and she starts like fight. My favorite part was like Groot comes barreling in, hits her with the car, and then waves. He gets that cheesy little hi. Yeah, like sorry. Yeah. We're still friends, right? But then, oh my goodness! So Reeve cuts Groot in half, like cleaves him in half, which we know that won't kill him. But then to add insult right. and danger, he also lights him on fire. Yeah, I saw that where he was like, because Groot is still because like his lower half is still fighting yeah. and you know, his top half is too and that's when he like takes the Zippo and like tosses it back on Groot. I'm like oh shit. <laughs> and like Groot's face with like, he still has the sword sticking out. It's like typical bag he like, this the action where it, it tosses over his, his shoulder and he just walks up into this ship. You're like Man, that guy is an evil motherfucker. That's heartless. Yeah, well, he's talking about how, like, they're going to lose because they have friends yeah. and, you know, reasons to live. And he has, if you have nothing to lose, you never will. Yeah. And he's like, it also helps that I can kick all your asses. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, ouch, just brutal. And then you see Chammy and his girlfriend, you know, she's like, she was bored of him. But now she's like into him because he's an alien and they're making up. Okay, that's kind of weird and silly. I like, though, that Gwen does make the, with her fourth wallness, talks about how her, her outfit gets torn and destroyed and ripped in just the politically correct rating. Covers all the X-rated bits, yeah. This cover, it covers all the bits it's supposed to, and it shows Rocket patting Groot down and putting him out and trying to shove him into the car that's been, like, so busted. <laughs> Poor rental. <laughs> They're not getting that back. <laughs> yeah, the windows are broken. There's bullet holes. You know, it's just all messed up. But then uh, Chammy approaches the group of them and is like, I need your help. Carol's going to be mad because they are totally dilly-dallying and not getting to get there to help whatsoever. Sure that Groot needs to regrow and he's, they're going to want some vengeance back on Jerky Man. I thought it was really funny. And I thought the part where Groot gets lit on fire... I was kind of surprised yeah. by that. Yeah, me too. So I thought it did action really well and was really funny. Definitely agreed. I, I liked how he used it. Not only like slammed him headfirst into the concrete by one leg, but then he used him as a weapon. <laughs> Clubbing people with his own body, yeah. That was some fucking comedy there. But no, it was, it was great as usual. You know, Rocket and Groot's always, always a fun ride. I gave it four and a half on fire Groot's. Because it was memorable. I don't like Groot on fire, but it was significant. <laughs> I give it four nothing to lose. I'm going to give it four fresh fruit loves. So I'm going to take us over to DC for Suicide Squad number two, The Black Vault Part 2 from DC Comics, written by Rob Williams, art by Jim Lee and Scott Williams. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other people too, but... Uh, yeah, so this one is basically the story of the Suicide Squad on a, a suicide mission where they're trying to recover this cosmic artifact. And you guys probably didn't read the first issue, but anyway, so they get dropped from space into this, like, Arctic, like, Russian secret base, uh, and it doesn't go well. Like, their ship explodes, their their diving suits aren't working well, and the team is, you know, fighting their way through to get to the base. They kind of 
bust their way inside, and you find out that Killer Croc actually saved a bunch of them because he's really good at swimming, which makes sense because he's, you know, a crocodile and they're, like, native to water. So he saved, uh, I think it was, like, Harley Quinn and some other people. And they keep comparing him to, like, the alien from mm-hmm. the Aliens movie. And he keeps, like, yelling, like, I'm not yeah. an alien! <laughs> So they're, like, firing, like, their machine guns at him, and he's got his, like, back kind of turned down, just, like, kind of, like, bouncing off. And then he throws uh, Harley Quinn and the, the girl with the sword at them, which was kind of cool. So you get to see, like, Harley and the girl with the sword fighting some people. So they go killing a bunch of fools, and Captain Boomerang is throwing his boomerangs and killing people. So they're basically, they're on a, a murder fest, and they make their way into the final room that they're trying to get to where the cosmic object is which hasn't activated because the room has been completely sealed, but now that there are people around, it's starting to activate. And they can't figure out exactly what it is, and that's when someone realizes it's uh, something to do with the negative zone. That's when Flag, he knows what that is, and he's like, oh shit, get the hell out of here, we're retreating. But not before you see Captain Boomerang get blasted by some lasers and totally fucking killed. There's no second page reveal on this. There's like, his like, boots standing there, like, smoking with like, chunks of bone sticking out of them, and that's all that's left of him he is dead as fuck mm. and then i love where you see this like it's like neil and i'm like oh god what's what's gonna happen then i turn the page and zod steps out he's like neil before zod i was like fuck yes the minute i saw neil i knew it had to be zod and i was like yes yeah. zod is out he's a bad motherfucker and he is straight up killing people I really liked this. I thought it was kind of humorous. I thought it had a lot of action. I thought the stakes were really high. It definitely impresses on me that being part of the Super Suicide Squad, you are not immune from dying. This has a, a higher mortality rate to it. They also had a backup story for uh, Boomerang. I don't know if you guys read it. It was kind of funny. It's kind of like an almost like an Austin Powers uh, Australian version of him where he's claiming to be like an Australian super secret agent who is only pretending to be a villain and... And, of course, they're calling him on his shit, and Amanda Waller is like, I know who you are. You're like this poor kid from the middle of Australian, like, outback, whose daddy liked boomerangs and left you and your mom in the dirt. And so you got you practiced with boomerangs, so if you ever came back, you would impress him. She's like, don't ever forget who you are, because I never will. <laughs> You're like, oh, damn. She's cold. I liked it. I thought the return of Zod was really awesome. I thought that the they immediately showed you how dangerous he is. And then you got some, like teamwork and like lightheartedness in it before the horrific death <laughs> of boomerang Captain i like harley trying to talk to katana that was pretty cute you watch any good yeah. books okay how about movies what do you think of this philosophy i honestly think okay i'm gonna take that as a no oh and <laughs> yeah. then the fangirl that was had to be my favorite part but she's like you're harley, like, harley quinn yeah. tattoos and she's all excited her hair is like in little buns like her Oh my like oh my oh my god, they have a Harley fangirl that they're rescuing. Actually definitely had a lot closer feel to the movie than I think other Suicide Squad issues have had. I really liked it. It was entertaining. I did not like the fact that they stole the fastball special and brought it into DC. <laughs> Some things are sacred. <laughs> the thing about this is like the fight scenes are like the just the best shit in this. They're just fucking brutal. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. It was a good read. This wasn't like, you know, Socrates or anything like that, but it was definitely an entertaining read. It's cool to see Zod show up, especially because yeah, none of these guys are even close to being on par with being able to deal with somebody as powerful as Zod. <laughs> Fuck, what are you going to do now? Mike, are they going to be Zod minions? Because that would be amazing. I don't think they have much of a choice. (laughs) Yeah, so I will give it 
four Neil before Zods. I gave it four Harley Quinn fangirl pack. I'm going to give it four fastball special ripoffs. Doom Patrol, number one, DC. Young Animal, written by Gerard Way, art by Nick Darrington, colors by Tamara. Bond villain, yes, Bond villain. Take it away, Rory. Doom Patrol, you know, you're kind of looking through the different variant covers on the PDF. You know, you can pretty much kind of tell you that it's going to be an odd one. <laughs> it's kind of your intro yeah. to it right there because it's like, you're like, ooh, these are some drug-looking covers. And that's pretty much what this whole story is. It starts off with the two main characters who are, they're working out of an ambulance. One's driving, one's a paramedic, driving like wild to get get their patient home. And they've got all kinds of like funny little like back and forth uh, dialogue along with what I like to call the bro shake. <laughs> Teamwork! Yeah, it just starts off with that, and then they end up in an arcade, and one of the characters, I forget his fucking name, is eating a hero, and starts waxing uh, philosophical about... Heroes. It looks really good at first, too. Oh, yeah. And then you realize that, oh, maybe there's, like, a whole world on this Euro. And, you know, it might not make any sense if you told them that they were on a Euro. Somebody was so fucking high when they wrote this book. Throws it into the garbage, and, like, it shows, like, this close-up of, like, this guy in the desert on the Euro who's, like, sneaking by everybody through this giant fight and... He's, like, battling his way through this temple. <laughs> and this is one of my favorite scenes here because it's, like, this robot guy. And he's just, like, basically, like, whooping ass. And he's, like, I'll send you all to hell and hits this button, <laughs> which fucking blows up the garbage can he threw the Euro. It's fucking weird, but uh, to me it was fucking hilarious. Well, that's the whole universe in the Euro, right, that they were talking about, yeah. Blows up the fucking universe and then ends up in an alternate universe that all is part of a fucking Euro. Like, homeless guy that's in a abandoned, like, house that's, like, throwing bricks around and shit like that, and he's got a name tag Ricardo on, and some other dude out in the woods playing a keyboard, and back to the main characters. They fucking find... weird is what we're trying to say. <laughs> no, it's hella fucking yeah. weird. It is so fucking weird. Then, like, it flashes back to, like, the main characters, and the robot guy is, like, you know, plummeted from his his Euro universe into the alleyways of this one. And he's like walking out and they're like, Oh, is that some kind of wizard? He's like, like staggering over to him and they're like, wait. And then he gets hit by a fucking garbage truck and destroyed. It's really something that has to be. It has to be experience. There's no linear plot explanation that will do it justice. It totally doesn't make sense. I personally, I know everybody else kind of hated it. I personally liked it. I thought it was funny, but not in a logical, smart funny. In a crazy, like, batshit. Since we just got done reading uh, Suicide Squad, this is a good one to follow up because it's just batshit crazy. I didn't like it very much. I I found it... Each individual part was kind of interesting, but together they told a completely incomprehensible story to me. So I, I was not a fan. I was trying to keep up. I was on board with the ambulance and the weirdness and... It was the weird Euro universe thing that really threw me off. I was like, is the robot guy from that universe? Did he, because you see things fly off and like, and they keep on weird thinking that fly picture. And I'm like, what's going on? It was just too weird. It's fucking weird beyond belief, but I don't know. I kind of dug it, even though it was, even though it was incomprehensible and nonsense. I, I figure that it's issue number one. They're going to continue it on, and all these weird ass scenes are going to make sense a little bit more as they have more time to spit out. I had a good time with it, though. As goofy as it is, and as nonsensical as it is, it, it just made me laugh, and I kind of enjoyed it. So I'm going to give it 
Let's say I'm going to give it three bricks to the head. I will give it They Are Lying. Hunter S. Thompson wrote this shit. What are we doing in the desert? <laughs> exactly. Back, back territory. I gave it two and a half euros. Euro universes. So those were the books we read this week. To check out our weekly pull list and other nerd shenanigans, go check out fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page, Four Color Nerds. You can follow us on Twitter or at Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds.